Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You're listening to that Chelsea podcast episode 80. Spectacular implosion. <laughs> Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. No Jack this week, he've played a blinder in missing that game, but I'm joined by the returning Daniel Charles at Sunday Chelsea. Daniel, how are we doing? Pretty good, uh, considering all, all things considered. I think I, I've just watched WrestleMania night one, which was pretty good. So uh, there, was, there was that to kind of take my mind off what happened yesterday. And as I think we'll get into it, I, I don't know if you've, I haven't spoken to you since the game, but it's... Um, I think it's just one of those like really bad days you get in a Chelsea season. And I've experienced days like this before where you just kind of have to shrug your shoulders and go, well, that's football, isn't it? So I, I, I'm not going to get too angry or annoyed about it. I think it was just a really, really bad day at the office. And I think you kind of just have to take it for what it is. I mean, you know, <laughs> we'll get into it. Yeah. It's just a bit of a mess. Yeah, no, exactly. And while you, you know, got away from it by watching WrestleMania, I was able to Drown my sorrows with friends in the pub till late hours. So again, <laughs> different different ways of dealing with with a Chelsea defeat. Um, as I always do with guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. So Daniel, why don't you tell people where they can find you and find all your work for London, your YouTube channel, on Chelsea, etc. Uh, Carefree Chelsea, I think Jack YouTube channel as well. So tell people where they can find all that. Yeah, I think probably the easiest place is just on Twitter at Son of Chelsea. Uh, I think that's probably the easiest place because that's where I kind of. Sounds really horrible, but dump a lot of my work, you know, that's not the best way to describe it and sell it, is it? Uh, but, you know, probably for this podcast, it makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, the, the YouTube channel, the the the, uh, the the articles I write for Football London, the YouTube videos we're now making on Carefree Chelsea with Anita Abiomi, Jake Stokes and Scott Clayton at Carefree Youth is the editor. Um, and obviously a guest you've had on a brilliant guest you've had on Adam Newson. So there's a lot more content coming up on, on that side of things on football London, where I write about Chelsea and, and present videos about Chelsea. And then obviously on my YouTube channel, uh, son of Chelsea as well, where uh, I have been putting content for the last like seven years. So yeah, that's probably the, the place to do it. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting because obviously I'm, I'm writing about it later today. Uh, so if you go at son of Chelsea, that's the, I think that's the easiest place to kind of find everything I do. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Daniel's links will be in the description below. Make sure you check them out. So yeah, to get his take on. Yeah. Very interesting day. Um, I'm trying to guess a good way to sum it. I think Daniel that Brentford game was probably as dead so far as the Morbius film 
especially judging by critical reviews, uh, mm. it, it was not very good. I haven't seen Morbius, so I will not comment on that. But in general, I kind of really, that's probably the first game of the season I've genuinely failed to find really a positive from that game. Mm. Everything mm. just seemed off from minute one. It was just one of those days where we just were not very good. And you were kind of hoping, but when Rudiger scored, we would kind of just be able to see it off. Uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, what was your kind of take of game? Because it did just feel like a bit of a, a weird day. You know, I think, you know, there's a lot obviously going on beforehand. Obviously, some people were, were a protester arranged by some fans. Other people like me, just in pub with my mates. And in the mm. ground as well, it kind of felt just a bit a bit weird. Obviously, Tuchel kind of alluded to it, but the atmosphere, you know, kind of felt like a friendly not really blame because it, it did just feel like a really weird day yesterday. And do you think maybe it's just the last six weeks Chelsea have dealt with last few Chelsea have dealt with a lot and they've dealt with it admirably. And I think the fans have dealt with it admirably, but maybe it was a case of just all, everyone a collective effort to almost being sort of just a bit burnt out by events, or is it you know, a combination of things, you know, just a freak result, international break, you know, we're not very for some reason after international break recently, forms have been flat. Well, you how do you kind of just sort of assess just everything from yesterday, really? I think we we all have a tendency to to simplify football to a player to a moment within a game to whatever it is and one thing like and I'm sure it's the same as you like talking about football and covering football is you you quickly realize how many variables there are in this sport um that make it so unpredictable and, and hard to kind of analyze I think everything you mentioned there is relevant um I think we all kind of feel a little bit tired and, and exhausted over the last six weeks, uh, given how seismic things have been. And, and obviously, I think it's a credit to Thomas Tuchel and a credit to his players that really that hasn't been reflected in performances and results. I know I saw some tweets yesterday after the game sort of saying that this is kind of Chelsea uh, getting their comeuppance in terms of subpar performances. But I actually disagree. I think Chelsea have been playing quite well um, in the last couple of weeks. Um, some really encouraging performances. I think other than the Newcastle one um, is the one that sticks out in my mind where Chelsea weren't that good and got a late winner. I think we've been playing some good football um, and, and players have started to come into form. So I, sure, the international break kind of curse that I, I don't think we've seen yet this season kind of striking and there's obviously very strong parallels to West Brom at this exact time. I think it's today when we're recording. It's 12 months since that game, uh, which obviously was after an international break to a side that were doomed for relegation. And, you know, everything just went wrong. And and um, the tactical things too, I, I think that we'll get into that, that maybe Tuchel got wrong on the day um, in terms of his lineup, some players he didn't start. And it's it's... It's a culmination of things. I, I think it'd be very easy for everyone to just go, oh, look at the mess going on outside Chelsea. This is what happens. That should have been the case for every single game um, since. And that hasn't really been the case. You know, we've seen some really good and resilient performances from this team. Um, in my head, in my own personal reaction to it, I just think from minute one, something seemed off. Uh, some of the stray passes from Edward Mendy that could have led to an early Brentford goal. The press, I think Chelsea really struggled in that first half to get round the press. And then pretty much after Rudiger's goal, the team just seemed to collapse. I mean, it, it seemed like instantly after Rudy's goal, Brentford suddenly have, had looks on our goal instantly to get back into the game. And, and Chelsea never really recovered from the equaliser. Um, and, and being done on transition in a way that 
other than that West Brom game, we really haven't seen under Tuchel, you know, that, that the space between midfield and defence, which was such a problem under Frank Lampard, was a problem under Maurizio Sarri that I think Tuchel has rectified so brilliantly. Um, it felt like one of those games where Chelsea's whole structure just kind of fell apart. So, yeah, it, it's. I, I think we'd be foolish to, despite picking out certain performances and certain tactical decisions Tuchel made, I think we'd be foolish to say it's this one thing. Um, because if Chelsea turn around and win against Real Madrid, what are we going to say? The chaos outside, you know, fueled that that performance. So it, it it's tough to say. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And I think for whatever reason, you this you can just go back through Chelsea recent seasons. Chelsea tend to have like a horror show against them, against the yeah. team they shouldn't do. And when it's Chelsea, they don't lose like narrowly. It's what I'm going to call this episode. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a spectacular implosion. It really yeah. is like spectacular to watch, and it, it's in a way. I don't know about you, Dan. In a way, I find it probably more satisfying watching us like completely capitulate against Brentford, maybe just losing like losing that game two one or something like those. Mm. Brentford get a quick one two and we can't recover because it was, it was. I can't even say I was watching a car crash in slow motion because Brentford scored three goals in ten minutes. It was all so quick. Mm. It was just, it was just really weird to, to behind. And obviously, you know, I guess obvious question. I think we've had say worst performance of the season under Thomas Tuchel without a shadow of a doubt because said there was really nothing positive to take from that. Out of like. You, you mentioned rest, reference West Brom earlier and towards the back end of last season, there were some some horror shows, not maybe to the extent of like level of defeat, but some just really horrible performances. And I know we sort of briefly chatted about this, you know, yesterday afterwards, you know, kind of that defeat, like, is it the worst? Is it, you know, where it grounds? But in the sort of, you know, the two cool reigns so far, where does that sort of defeat for you sort of go in terms of, you know, absolute just howlers? Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably top, Um in, other than West Brom, and, and the excuse you can make for West Brom is Thiago Silva got a red card early in the game. Uh, we were not playing with 10 men. We went 1-0 up in the second half. And yeah, I can't think of a worse result. I mean, there have been results that made me feel worse. Um, the Leicester FA Cup final, yeah. that's a final, the Liverpool game. Um, but no, I, I think this is the worst one because... You know, the, the quality of, you know, Brentford were amazing yesterday. They really were. I think, you know, tactically, uh, Thomas Frank has, you know, done an incredible job there. Um, I'm sure like for a lot of it, even though it was it was hard to see because he, he scored a goal um, that really changed the momentum of the game. You know, Christian Eriksen, obviously, it's, you know, it's a wonderful story, him coming back into football and, and playing so well for them. You know, they're a well-run club and they're going to stay up in the Premier League. And really, I, I actually think it's maybe the football gods kind of... Uh, give Chelsea one back after the, the reverse fixture, where to be honest, somehow we won that game in October. Uh, Edward Mendy was to thank. So maybe there's a bit of comeuppance there. Uh, it has, yeah, I, I, I think maybe it's just worse than the, the West Brom one, simply because there was 11 men on the pitch. And um, when you go one nil up in the second half, uh, especially under Tuchel, you kind of expect at least Chelsea are going to avoid defeat. You know, that's, that's something Chelsea have done quite well. And, uh, yeah, it just it, it was so so bad. I think it's going to be difficult to top that one. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, we'd only just finished celebrating Rudiger finally scoring a long shot. And you, you just mm. figured Antonio's Rudiger this afternoon was worth 0.01 xg. It was the longest uh, range one in the Premier League for 15 years, 39.6 yards out. I mean, Daniel, it's kind of become sort of a running joke this season. Like Rudiger is finally going to score a goal. Mm. He is, you know, one of his shots eventually will go go in one day. But you know, the quote from Infinity War. What did it cost? Everything, you know. He, it, it, you know, it, it feels wrong, but that that goal may well win our goal of the month. Mm. But no one's really ever going to like remember that goal that fondly, yeah. and I feel that's a great shame. Um, but honestly, on that moment, I actually thought that that was just like a really, you know, the, the image from that, you know, Rudiger. 
just runs over immediately to Thomas Tuchel, gives him a big hug. There's a big hug, and obviously kind of news but late last night about Thomas Tuchel and, you know, what's going on in his personal life. It's going, kind of been a tough time for him. That just felt like a really unifying moment. I guess it's also just, again, just really sad that that moment, again, will kind of just be forgotten again. It ultimately means nothing, really, doesn't it? I mean, the one thing I did say after was I, I, I was glad I was there to see it. At yeah. least I was there. If that's the only one he scores, at least I was there to watch it because uh, he's been trying it for months and months and months. And and the shame of it, yeah, as you say, the shame of it is that it wasn't a last minute winner against Spurs. It wasn't in the FA Cup final, but, you know, it could still, you know, maybe he's finding his rage. I, I just wonder whether Rudiger scoring just exploded the game, like it exploded the minds of Chelsea players. Uh, it broke the universe. So that's then what the, the chaos just unfolded, that, you know, reality broke for, for that second half. And, and that, that's what, that's, at least that's the way I can, I can make my, myself feel better about it. It was just, as you say, like the Infinity War, you know, it was just, it, it cost everything. Um, so hopefully Chelsea will get back to some normality where Rudiger, when he takes that shot, it goes wide and, and then everything stays sane and Chelsea don't capitulate again. Yeah, no, exactly. Then I'll move off to like, you know, Peter just continually med- continuously meddling with Dr. Strange's spell, like trying yeah. to get rid of the games. Like Rudiger, you know, you oh, just just take it and move on. But yeah, it was, it was a shame. But obviously, you know, Brentford literally went up the other end and equalised and then Ericsson put two up. And, and then obviously the second half thing is probably one of the ones we have to talk about because you, you mentioned transition. It was a corner and we had so many men up there. And mm. I think I think it's ZH then just lofts the ball with all ZH, he lofts the ball back in and then boom, Brentford are away. And it's, I think the goal was a still image and I'm you careful looking so much, but it kind of reminds me of thing of it, Roma under Conte, where there's mm. three players on one side and then they're just Ericsson just completely free. And it was, it was just really painful because in terms of like an amateur goal to concede, it was probably... Probably even it's probably even worse than Jorginho's you know mistake against Manchester United because that just happens like it was just a bad touch, but that was just genuinely just so just abysmal to watch. And I guess from that point, I genuinely thought two one. I just given how that game went, I didn't have a huge amount of confidence we get back into. It. Then obviously the third goal was a killer, but I think that second goal is probably just highlighting your point earlier that you know that was something we not really seen from Chelsea and Tuchel, and just kind of highlight just again just for the strangeness of yesterday. Really, I mean the movement from. And Burma was was brilliant. I mean, he's got. I felt just the way Brentford were really precise. I think with where they were going to attack Chelsea, you could tell from. I think they tried to funnel our play a lot down the left when we were trying to build up because I think they quite clearly know get don't get. Even though ironically, Ziyech, as you say, for that particular goal was at fault. Um, when Chelsea were trying to build up, it was quite clear they were trying to stop the ball getting out out to the right with Mason and Ziyech. They were like, let's funnel it over to left where there isn't going to be much trouble. Um, and I think that was a very obvious ploy. And then on transition, I think their movement was just brilliant. I mean, the speed of, of that counter um, was brilliant. And uh, as you say, it, it is. It took all the balance within the team. I think it's just been so brilliant. And um, I know we'll get to a question in terms of uh, later that I, I'm pretty sure someone has submitted in terms of what Chelsea are going to do in the transfer market. And, Listen, it's not new analysis. It's not new analysis for Chelsea. I think the only irony in, in this case is that the player that is kind of summarises why Chelsea need a defensive midfielder in terms of playing, say, a more aggressive 4 3 3 wasn't on the pitch yesterday in Jorginho. Um, it was, you know, Ruben playing that role. Uh, but still, the, the, the problem kind of persists. And um, it, it's a sort of goal I, I just don't think Chelsea should be conceding as well. It, it's a really amateur one. Um, it didn't, it's the third goal as well. I, I don't know if we're going to go goal by goal, but the third goal it's, and the fourth goal were just as bad for me, like the static nature of defending. Um, just everything you 
haven't come to associate with this Chelsea team under Thomas Tuchel. It was just lacking precision, lacking balance, lacking focus, which is all things that Tuchel brought up after the game, and, and rightly so. And I agree with you. When you concede those type of goals, there's just a feeling in the ground. I, there was a brief period when they equalised and they scored again, where I was like, okay, maybe this is just a mad second half where we get like a 4-4 or something. And it's just the game. Both teams are going to just forget about defending and we get a load of goals. But the nature of the, the, the conceding of those goals, the lack of precision within Chelsea's play from the moment we kicked off in the first half, I think Chelsea got never got back into focus and never was able to find their rhythm. And, and a lot of that, I think, tactically was down to Brentford's really unsettling Chelsea and really pouncing on those errors time and time again, which I think other teams probably wouldn't have. You know, I think teams that come to the bridge for, in Brentford's position may have just stayed back a little bit. And, and for a large period of the first half, it looked like Brentford um, had kind of sat back a little bit, tried to soak up pressure. But once they realised that fragility was there, I think they pounced on it in, in the most effective way and it, and it really hurt Chelsea. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Obviously, I think it, you said I mentioned there's no Jorginho. I actually found it quite interesting for the fact that there's no Jorginho or Kovacic and he started Kante because part of my thinking looking at my team's like, he's starting Ruben, he's starting Timo and we'll go on team. But part of me was thinking, like this part of me was thinking he's got an eye on Real Madrid. Mm. But then part of me was also really confused that, you know, that he was starting Kante, but there's no Jorginho or Kovacic. It was kind of a weird one Work. I know it's easy to say after Ben about the team, but it's kind of one of those things I felt like in general, I, this could just be, I haven't actually looked this up. But it feels like Matteo Kovacic, for whatever reason, hasn't actually started that many Premier League games in the last mm. month or so. And I don't know the reason why, because he's arguably been our most, most informed field. But I think he came off the bench against Newcastle when it was nil-nil, injected life into the game. I think when we were playing away at Palace earlier in the season, he might have come on off the bench to inject life into that game as well uh, last month or so. And it's been... It just felt weird that this player has been so brilliant for us for whatever reason in the Premier League just isn't perhaps playing as much as we think he could be. I don't know if there's like a reason for that, but I've just I thought, found that one particularly interesting. For Jorginho one, I kind of get a bit more, but I was maybe, I don't know your thoughts, but you like surprised that you've been a bit surprised maybe at Coventry's lack of minutes in Premier League mm. recently. And then just on that, what do you kind of make of, of Ruben's form? Because again, he was, is one like, he's probably right, but not great. But then no one was really no one was you can say was really good yesterday so just yeah thoughts on that yeah on the first one I, I do agree with you you know Cobba we were having this discussion on Carefree Chelsea like during the international break over who our player of the season contenders are and you know mine is Thiago Silva I think he's my favorite for it I think behind that is Antonio Rudiger but then you have Kovacic who unfortunately got that injury in October and kind of took him out but I think the levels of performance and influence and energy he even brought off the bench yesterday. Yeah, he needed to assist within a minute or two, didn't he? Yeah, like it's it's you sit there and you're like, why wasn't this guy starting the game? Because there was such a lack of energy and inspiration in that first half for large periods of it. I mean, until Rudiger's goal, and I know Ziyech had the chance in the first half, it was very friendly-ish. You know, it was very predictable um, the way Chelsea were playing, and 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 Cover has added another level to his game this year where you really feel like he's cutting out you know, useless sort of dribbling, going around in circles. You know, he, there's a sense that when, is it, when he gets on the pitch and when he gets the ball, he knows what to do with it. You know, he, he's moving it forward and, he, and he's with precision and he's trying to find those cutting passes through defence, which, which is so key from a, from a deeper position, particularly when you're playing against a team who has set up well and, and has kind of been a low block, which Chelsea struggled to, to break down. Ruben, I'm not a fan of him in the six. Uh, and this is not, it's not hindsight. I was encouraged by his performance against Middlesbrough. Um, 
But I've always said, I've been saying this for years, you know, his best run as a senior Chelsea player, I know everyone looks back to the academy days, but as a senior Chelsea player, his best run was on left of a midfield three as an attacking midfielder under Maurizio Sarri. It's the run we all talk about. It's kind of like Pulisic under Frank. Um, You know, it's getting further and further away in the distance. But I just feel this role limits his best attributes and most effective attributes uh because what i like about him as an eight is it's a, he's able to drift deeper where he can kind of explode forward with the ball but he does have license to get in the box and i just feel like in this role the hand breaks on a bit where because he's the kind of the deepest line midfielder he can't overly commit because he doesn't have someone next to him or he maybe feels like i kind of have to be this dictator of play i have to be available to receive the ball from say Thiago Silva or Rudiger to kind of orchestrate play a little bit more and defensively i think you know he isn't as good as as you'd want from a defensive midfielder so even though he's got good mobility he's just got those attacking instincts and I just feel that, again, it kind of limits his game. Um, and I feel like in the role, he's kind of wasted. And I, and I just, I, I'd be a little bit upset if this is just it for, for Ruben as in his Chelsea career. He's just defined as a six now because I don't, what makes Ruben a really good player in the sense that what Kovacic has gone, gotten into this year is, is having that ability from a standing start to explode, make off the ball runs, you know, really change the tempo of an attack. Um, which is which is something that we desperately needed yesterday, and you desperately need it in games where maybe that that sense of focus is lacking a little bit, and you need a bit of inspiration. And that was maybe Ruben post his injury can't do that, but I, I think we've seen enough flashes this season to show that there is there are those runs in there. And there's a run in the first half where he took a shot on goal, where, where you saw that ability to to take the ball and and do something himself. I just don't think as a six in a midfield three, he's best served. I think if it's say the back three and he's as, and he's one of those central midfielders and maybe he feels like he's got protection behind him, then maybe he can make those runs a little bit more. But yesterday there was it, it, Chelsea's defense was so exposed um, that we just didn't see that. So I, I'm not a fan of him as the six. I'm just not, I, I, I think that, as I say, I just I look back to his best performances in the Chelsea shirt, and they all came when he was kind of that number eight player who really had license to to get forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, do come on off to talk about two members of the left side. Uh, one of them was Marcus Alonso, and look, what I will say before I have it, Marcus Alonso has I think done a pretty fine job filling in. You know, in Ben Chilwell's absence, I don't think he's really let us down. But I think, unfortunately, yesterday was just one of those Alonso performances you get, and I think it was pretty telling that he was subbed off. I think after the second goal or the first or second goal um, for Reese James, I genuinely just just struggled. And the other player, Daniel, Timo Werner. And I know we've had this discussion on pod before. Um, you've obviously, you know, very, I think very critical of him and rightly so. And you kind of, I think, I, lost faith, I say, before a lot of people did. But it kind of felt yesterday just being in that ground. But there was, there's, there's a lot of goodwill to Timo before, but it kind of feels like in recent weeks, the faith has been like going and it felt like yesterday it went. I don't know about you, but just looking at the game, zero successful dribbles, zero chances created, zero shots on target, zero accurate crosses, zero ground was one, zero fouls one, two key passes, 11 times possession loss, zero take on actually, not out of two, zero percent shooting actually, not out of one. Like we're kind of getting to the point like I can't really tell you what Timo Werner's good at. And I'm kind of just think we're at a point where I genuinely don't see any benefit he provides us on a pitch in the Premier League anyway, maybe in the Champions League where there's maybe a bit more space in certain situations. 
but it's kind of got to the point where me and him, like, I don't really want to see him playing any meaningful role from now till the end of the season, you know, unless maybe we're in a position where we can afford to sub him on. But just kind of your take on, on Timo's performance yesterday, and I guess, you know, basically the, the, the end of Timo Werner. Yeah, I mean, I came to this conclusion arguably 12 months ago. I mean, I, I think that, fine enough, I remember that West Brom game um, and I remember the run into last season. Where, where I started to lose it with Werner was the Leicester game after the cup final, uh, which I think is just such a great summary of the problems that, to be honest, those run of games were actually, in, in retrospect to the level of performance we've got from Werner this season, was actually a lot better. He was actually involved. You know, there was a sense that, you know, you could still kind of go with the excuse that, oh, things just aren't falling in his favour. But it was that night where fundamentally my doubts, severe doubts about Werner started to creep up where he's an easy header that he has to make and he's handballing it. Um, he's constantly offside for a player who's got apparently electric speed. Um, if you're a good forward, there's a reason why good centre forwards are mostly onside. Um, it's because they, you know, they're, they're intelligent. They make, they track their runs. They, there's not a luck to it. If you're constantly offside, at some point, it's not about luck and fortune for me. Um, it's it's about that player's responsibility on the pitch. This season, I my frustration with Werner, like my levels of anger is probably yeah anger is right at some points because we're all fans right we react in the game i came to this conclusion a long time ago right and i I, i'm not going to be the guy who told you so because it's nothing personal against Vernie. and i'm sure like a lot of chelsea fans listen to this he seems like a nice bloke off the pitch he was involved in the champions league uh win he scored the goal against real madrid in the champions league semi-final which was a big goal um he scored a big goal against west ham but the, the problem, my problem with Werner and I think the conversation around him and I think the, the, the realisation from many people in recent weeks is that the facade of Werner, I think, has come tumbling down this season because there are too many limitations within his game to get round. Um, there are too many things that you just can't facilitate for. Um, genuinely, and I, I know this sounds like, like hyperbolic and, and quite cruel, I can't think of many players that I've watched in a Chelsea shirt that are as bad technically as Timo Werner. And I think I said this to you when I was on the podcast last, and this was in, what, February? The fact he went 89 days without starting a Premier League game probably tells you where he lines up in the pecking order. He's lucky to be starting games at the moment because none of his performances have justified starting again. For, for months and months, I got told about his incredible movement. His he does so much. You know, he works hard. And I, I said this to you exactly what I said last time. And I'm sorry to repeat myself. Working hard is not a a wonderful 50 million attribute. Why did we buy Timo Werner in the first place? Because it was quite clear he he, he had limitations, or at least there were parts of his game that weren't as good as others. Um, when when we bought him, it was quite clear that he was a goal scorer. And if you get him inside the box, that's what he is. He's a finisher. If he's not providing you that, which he hasn't with some woeful finishing, as you've, I think, come to the realization that I did a long time ago, there are too many things that are just problems that just stop Chelsea's play. Um, For someone with great speed, as you saw again yesterday, when he's confronted with a player that's a lot slower than him and the ball is at a standstill and he has to dribble past that player, he can't do it. Nine times out of 10, he can't do it. Um, That's a problem in a team where a Chelsea team where you're not getting bundles of space. And this is the problem like with, with Werner is that 
what's the point of having a player that's rendered useless nine times out of 10 in a season? You know, the sort of space that Werner got in the Bundesliga, which he will get when he returns there. Chelsea get once or twice a season when we're playing a Man City, when maybe we're playing around Madrid, for instance, when a team really comes on to Chelsea. Very rarely does that happen. Um, nine times out of 10, you are in limited spaces and you have to get around it. You have to use your physicality. You have to use your technique. You have to use intelligence. You have to keep yourself on side. Things that the likes of Kai Havertz has started to, to do a lot better in recent weeks. Werner has a few of these attributes and it's also just productivity. Um, the, the harsh stats of Werner get worse and worse by the week. Um, one Premier League goal this season, which you have to track back to October, um, you look at the the stats of of, of our Morata. You know, Werner has now surpassed the amount of appearances Morata had for Chelsea, um, which is which is testament to the amount of chances he's got at Chelsea. I, I do not want to hear anything in the coming months about how Chelsea didn't give Werner enough of a chance because Tammy Abraham, a shirt you're wearing in front of me right now, Tammy Abraham sat out half the season last year for Werner to get week after week after week after week of chances where he wasn't producing. And it's just what Chelsea are as a club, you know, these standards that people talk about, it, it's about productivity. It's about a player producing. And when he's going off an international duty and he's making comments that I think other players have made that really gets them in hot water. And I'm, you know, and then you perform like that. I just, I, what's the, what's the, what's the defense anymore? Because I, I just think it's about having honest conversations about a player. I wish him well when he leaves, but, as you say, it's a real failure of recruitment. I, I don't think you're going to get a worse one. And it's just staggering, you know, how poor he's got this year. I think the levels of performance, as I say, I, I think that Chelsea fans have been kind to Werner. I think they really have to a point of, and it's wonderful to see. We, I think me and you both get sick and tired of the abuse of footballers online. And I've when I've tried to talk about Werner, I never want to abuse him personally because I'm so against that. But I can't lie. I can't be dishonest about what I'm seeing. And actually, as horrible as it is, it's nice to know that I've I've not been taking crazy pills for the last 12 months. <laughs> like I haven't been living in some alternative universe because uh, it felt like that for weeks and weeks and weeks where I was being told that this guy was making off the ball runs, third man runs, you know, basic things that professional footballers make. You know, I speak to people who play football at a, a not, not obviously not a, a ultra elite level, but a decent level who say that's just basic football movement. That's not, that's nothing special. That's not. And when you get the ball and I'm talking, he, I get told about his incredible movement. And when he gets the ball and he does nothing with it, why is he on the pitch? Um, and I think that I was looking at Tuchel on a touchline. He was having a go at Werner at a point in the first half. And I just felt sorry for Tuchel because it's like, you're asking him to do something that he just isn't capable of doing. It's, it doesn't matter how much you shout at him. He's, it, it's quite clear. So I, I, I know people who listen to me regularly are probably sick and tired of me talking about it. And um, I don't know. I, I think Werner should act as a little bit of a catalyst for what Chelsea should be trying to avoid in recruitment in the coming years, because especially under a new regime where you can't have situations like this again, where we're spending 50 million for a player who, as I say, becomes very limited, um, who, you know, it, it's, Here's the most damning thing I could say to in reference to the shirt you're wearing and a guy I love seeing doing well this year. I think Werner is the representation of everything Tammy's harshest critic said about him a year ago. You know, you know, the 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 way Tammy was framed by his harshest critic was he was an orthodox on the ball. 
His first touch was poor. He didn't belong at Chelsea's level. Um, that's what I can say about Timo Werner. Um, and it's sad because I think he's a nice guy and I probably have a good beer with him in a chat and, and say thanks for helping us win the Champions League. But I, I don't, there's no excuse anymore. It's just, it's just unacceptable levels of performance for a player who is paid. I don't usually say this. I don't like saying this because footballers are paid generally very, very well. But he has paid a lot of money to play for Chelsea. This is not an under-23s player. This is not a player that was bought for five million. This was not someone bought on a free. This was bought, he was bought as one of the elite European players and he's tragically underperformed. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things I think good friend shows been for Red. I think he says like when you've seen a player get a run, then Timo Werner, I've looked at he's played 50 Premier League games for Chelsea, 35 this season, 35 last season, 15 this season. So again, that's pretty damning. Christian, he's not going to get anywhere close to those other appearances. Men fact during the comps. But when you see a player and you haven't seen any progression in those games, you know it's not going to get better for him. In fact, all we've what you said and you've mentioned is we've seen regression. Last year, Timo Werner had six goals and eight assists in the Premier League. And I never liked this argument anyway because Timo Werner was bought to score goals. But the defenders would say his goal contributions, he led, he got, he did really well for Chelsea in goal contributions. He did this part. And because it was his first season, because he was new to the league, we kind of, some of us like wanted to give him time and wanted to go, okay, we'll let that go. But this season, one goal, one assist in the Premier League in 15 games. You know, I think if Callum hudson was fit, if Christian Pulisic is fit, I don't think Timo Werner starts that game. Mm. I think Timo Werner is getting opportunities purely because the player's unavailable. And I think, unfortunately, with Timo, as much of a nice guy as he just isn't cut out for playing the way this Chelsea side he wants to play under Thomas Tuchel in Premier League. And again, that's not Tuchel's fault because Timo was bought, you know, under a different management. Um, but I think it's just, again, one of Chelsea kind of being sucked into a big name, if you will, which Chelsea has been quite often... Thing to is signing a player who is the next big thing, but don't actually have a clear idea and strategy how to use him. Hmm. So I think it's one of those where, yeah, with teammate, he was it was poor yesterday, and I think patience has been wearing thin. For me, it's quite funny you mentioned that Leicester game was when you like turned him back Leicester. Game, I remember because that was the first game out with a lot of fans, and Timo Werner was actually so loved that game hmm. for the stuff you said that he, you know the basics for working hard. There's a moment nothing early in that game. He literally in the first two minutes he tracked back and like won a tackle late on. But even those things have gone out of his game. We've seen in recent weeks him like you know for you know, you spell it, pussying out of challenges, him like getting in the way of challenges. In his head, he doesn't necessarily seem at Chelsea still, in my opinion. He kind of seems like he's waiting for the season to end as well. So, yeah, on team, I think it is best for, for all parties that we just let him go and, and move on. And look, thank you for, for your service. He played a part in Chelsea winning the Champions League, played a part in Chelsea winning the Super Cup and played a part in Chelsea winning uh, Club World Cup. And look, Carabao Cup final, he was pretty anonymous as a substitute, but he scored his penalty. He did his job in the shootout. Uh, so look, Thank you, Timo. Wish you well. You seem a nice guy, but the Bundesliga, I think, as he's mentioned, is, is best to go for him. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Going to move on to listener questions. First question comes in from RJ. Hey, Legends, pretty painful result, obviously, but looking forward to keen to hear you discuss whether you think this banana skin result could act, could be a blessing in disguise like last season, Ari West Brom, or is this a concern for us for the remainder of the campaign? Because obviously, Dan, I think last year, that West Brom result actually probably signaled like the inconsistency in Chelsea's 
like league form towards the end of mm-hmm. that season. Because I think what people forget is like, obviously we got top four, we got top four very lucky, but our league form after that West Brom game was actually pretty, pretty patchy at best. We yeah. struggled to really put form together. And I guess what's different this year is we're actually in a lot healthier position in terms of top four. But we've got a pretty big gap to the teams below us. So if the same happened again, we'd pretty much be fine with it anyway. But just your thoughts, are you particularly you know, concerned about our result? Could it be a blessing, blessing in disguise? Just your, your thoughts. I really do do hope that Chelsea, because you know Chelsea have still got a decent gap to fifth place. Um, I think it's about eight points, isn't it, to Spurs with a with a game in hand. Um, so compared to last year, it's not this very it's, it's not very close. But obviously that could change. Um, and I, I don't want this year to happen. And it's one of the big frustrations about yesterday was that you just want if if Chelsea are going to continue to progress in the Champions League, you don't want those last few weeks of the Premier League to be really, really intense. And Tuchel has to keep playing his first choice eleven um, if we're still in the Champions League and and you know preparing for maybe an FA Cup final. Um, I, I guess we can only tell when we see the game against Real Madrid. I, I think that it, it sums up how well Tuchel's done. That I assume, I mean, maybe people were different. I kind of think that. I'm expectant of a very good Chelsea performance against Real Madrid. I just am. Um, that that performance yesterday, because it's so freakish, you know, what was it? Three or four days after that West Brom defeat, we beat Porto 2-0. Um, and obviously Porto are a different level of team, but there was a sense of focus about that, the Chelsea. And then I think we won against Crystal Palace uh, a few days later, a really good performance. And then we beat Man City in the, the FA Cup semi-final. So whenever we've had a, a setback, a big setback, like a, like a defeat um, under Thomas Tuchel. We seem to respond quite well. Uh, that seems to be the trend under Tuchel, and you hope that repeats itself. Personnel-wise, there there are obviously going to be changes. I hope that Christian Pulisic is is fit and ready to go for for Real Madrid. Reese James starting uh, from the off. Mateo Kovacic can come back into the team. You know, you you hope that the team will obviously see that as a reality check because this is a team that hasn't lost in quite a while actually in terms of a 90 minute game uh, so we've actually been on a pretty good run uh, since that man city defeat in in mid january so so we hope the team can respond i think that the evidence shows that under Sukkul, we, we do that pretty well i just hope that the the premier league campaign doesn't become a bit of an afterthought like last season because it was i mean chelsea probably shouldn't have got top 4 last year i mean it was it's something that i think annoys both of us the kind of the perception of that that premier league campaign under Sukkul was that we were miles and miles away from the top four and we clawed it back dramatically in heroic fashion. You know, Chelsea clawed it back very quickly and then nearly lost it again. Um, and that's what shouldn't be happening this season. We really should be ending this Premier League season with a sense that we're clearly the third uh, place team in this league, which, you know, isn't something to greatly celebrate. But, you know, we're, we're quite clearly above the teams below us and we can from next season, hopefully with the right investment, go and compete against Man City and Liverpool. I still think there is that opportunity to do that with a game in hand. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. It's it's not too much of a concern. And it's, you know, kind of just, you've got faith in this team. And again, I think it's easy to go aboard after yesterday. But that's, as I said, as our first defeat since City. And I think, you know, we've only, we've only lost four Premier League games this season. Mm. And again, when's the last time at this stage of the season, Chelsea had only lost four Premier League games? Probably since we last won a Premier League title. Obviously, the draws we've had haven't helped. But in general, this team, you know, has been pretty good this year. And even if they had an off day, they've still managed to, to not lose a game. But unfortunately, yesterday was just one of those where we couldn't have it. And I'm not really too concerned because I think ultimately we still should have enough. And I think it's in our own hands. We've got to play Arsenal at home who, you know, fingers crossed, we can get a job done. Because I think the only slight, you know, 
slight concerns ask if Arsenal overtake us, but at the end of the day, we only really need to come top four. As much as we'd like to come third, we only really need top four. So Arsenal, we don't really need to worry about. It's more Manchester United and Spurs. And we won't talk about Manchester United, but again, it's something quite comical just about Manchester United, how they've got an opportunity. They, you know, they realistically they are probably out of this race, but they've been feels like they've been handed quite a few lifelines at various points, and they always seem to just throw in a performance that leaves them wanting. So then that kind of means you're looking at Spurs under Conte, who looking at their fixtures, they might be quite good, but you're also asking a Spurs team to basically show form, but they've not mm-hmm. shown all season. So it's one of those where you feel that Chelsea should be should be pretty safe, providing we can just get you know mm-hmm. some some good results. And also, I mean, I think Arsenal when Arsenal Spurs still have to play each other. Each other. Uh, Man United and Arsenal still have to play, play each, other. each other. So, and and I think some of those teams have to face at least one of Man City and Liverpool. So it's uh, listen. I, I don't think you can be too over, overly dramatic about it. Uh, I, I think that it's about responding well. And as you said, you know, Ch- Chelsea. When you actually, there's so much emotion about these things and the performances. But when you actually look at the the harsh facts, I mean, Chelsea are on course to to end this season in a better way than they have in in recent years, or at least I hope get a point tally that's closer to what we'd expect from from this team um so yeah listen it's it's all about how we respond i sound like a player but it's all about how we respond on wednesday and then we move on to to southampton um you can only go by the evidence of what we've seen before and, and listen we all say how much trust and love we have for thomas tuckle as one of the best coaches in in world football we've seen what he's done with this squad um the mentality of this squad is one that can respond and win a champions league so that's as much as criticism we can have about certain individuals. This team did respond to an embarrassing defeat this time last year, got to an FA Cup final and then won a Champions League. So there's that belief, right? And I don't think that's changed. No, exactly, exactly. Belief firmly is there. Uh, next question, Daniel. Chelsea were exposed playing a back uh, four against Brentford, ostensibly because the team are poor in transition, as they have been for years. Aside from the obvious solution, everyone is keen on Rice. What do you feel we need to do in order to play in a back four game? Because this, again... I do get the general point of this, but this is, again, something that's fun and interesting because a lot of people yesterday were like, back four, back four, Chelsea get found in back four. But Chelsea have played a back four quite a few mm-hmm. times on two and have been relatively fine on it, relatively in control. Obviously, I know there's a Brighton one all game, which we were just genuinely horrendous, but I don't think that was necessarily due to back four. That was just Chelsea were just genuinely horrendous. But we dealt with Spurs three times in the space of a month playing a back four. We beat Newcastle, albeit unconvincingly with a back four. And we didn't really have any trouble defensively there. We beat... Palace away 1-0 with a back form. We didn't really have any trouble defensively there. But it is a point that Chelsea last won a Premier League title playing a back five. Tuchel, Tuchel's preferred system at Chelsea has been a back five. So aside from, you know, what do you, do you feel we need to, firstly, do you feel we need to do anything, you know, to play a back four again? Or do you kind of not really have too many like worries about that? And then aside from the solution, who would you kind of, yeah, aside, cause aside from the solution that is Rice, what do you do to, to play about that four again. I, I've, I've been an advocate of, of changing to the back four and I like the fact that Tuchel has started to use it a lot more because I think it's probably a sign of where he sees the team going. I know originally it was about sort of the players available to him uh, when he used it against Spurs back in January. But quite clearly, as he's got more options back, he's, he's favoured it a bit more than than he did. Maybe the back four you have, maybe Malang saw as the left back rather than a Marcus Alonso to give you that sense of protection. We've seen kind of this hybrid system where in possession, it's a 4-1-4-1, a 4-3-3, and then quickly it goes out of possession into a, into a 3-5-2. That looked to be the way it was going in, in the game yesterday, but it kind of just all got 
you know, several player mistakes, um, players not tracking back quickly enough and the shape of the team really being exposed. Obviously, that changed things. Tuchel was going to be a a coach that I don't think is going to be religiously wedded to one system. We've seen how flexible he is. I think with the introduction of five subs, that's probably going to be even more so from next season. So he may change systems within game. I like the 4-3-3 more so in games like yesterday. And I know it's it's the worst time to make this argument because, you know, obviously we imploded yesterday. But I, I do think that there are there have been games where you just kind of feel earlier in the season where do we need a third defender on the pitch? I remember the Everton game at home being one that really sticks out in my mind where Chelsea were just so dominant in that game and should have won it apart from sloppy defending at a set piece, should have won that game against Everton. And you're just kind of thinking when it gets so passive, especially in that first half as well, where it gets so passive in play. And it's it's not just, and Tuchel has said this as well, and it's it's a very, we kind of boil things down to, you play a 4-3-3, it's going to do this. You play a back three, it's going to do that. It, it's about the players, obviously the players who, whatever system you play, have to be in the right form, have to be doing their jobs properly. There has to be a level of intensity. We've seen under Tuchel that in a back three and a back four, there's been good and bad performances. So it's not as simple as saying, this is going to do this, this is going to do that. I do think it's about personnel, though. We have lacked a defensive midfielder that can really cover ground effectively for quite some time um, in, in a sense of someone who can sit a lot deeper allow say an N'Golo Kante to venture forward because as as I've always argued Kante is not the the basic holding midfielder he never has been he's a unique talent on his own and I don't think his performances if we're being honest and I know this sounds blasphemous but you know I don't think Kante's been at his best this season sadly uh, so there is kind of that feeling that we have to be going in a new, new direction and it it would give Tuchel that sense. And he's admitted as much in games this season. I think maybe yesterday was an example of why he's been so hesitant at times to play a back three because he's he's scared of exposing the back four, the back three, you know, defenders who don't have as much pace in his team, certain midfielders. So you look at a player like Aurelian Schermeni, who I thought was, if you didn't watch the game, particularly against Ivory Coast, um, I think it was last Friday, his performance, I thought, was brilliant. Um, there was a moment where Ivory Coast got through a bit like Brentford did yesterday and Germany's behind the play and he gets back inside the box. I think it's Frank Kessie making a run in the box and it's it's one of those challenges that if he gets wrong, he's given away a penalty and just calmly intercepted the ball and, and the way Germany's able to very quickly cover space, cover ground, switch play very effectively, also get involved in attacking moments when, when you want him to. It's why we need a player of his nature. I mean, we saw again the ridiculous sort of potential fees for Declan Rice, who was obviously the dream option. At the moment with the ownership situation, it clouds all the transfers. But listen, we, we've all had these conversations for, for quite a while now about what Chelsea's midfield lacks and needs. And, and I think that it would open up doors in games a lot more. I'm not saying you bring in too many, every single problem Chelsea have is fixed because I think there still is a, an argument you can make further up the pitch that Chelsea lack productivity. We lack a chance creator consistently. I mean, how many great opportunities did Chelsea create on the pitch? It seems like when Reese is not on the pitch, we really, really struggle to create. I mean, Reese feels like the one player that you can't, and even Kovacic obviously was, you know, those two players didn't start the game yesterday. I think once they came on in the game, Chelsea were chasing the game a lot more. We started to create a few, better opportunities, Reese with the the whipped cross in for that Kai handballed that, that could have been a goal. Uh the chance for Kai as well, you know, from Kovacic as you mentioned, the ball through. 
Um, so there, there are obviously wider problems within this team just saying you put a defensive midfielder in. But the defensive midfielder obviously links to the team. And I, and I think it would give Tuchel a lot more freedom to say, I'm going to go over 4 3 3 and then I won't see my team implode as we did yesterday. Uh, but as we've said, yesterday was maybe just a freakish, freakish game. And we have seen scenarios recently without that dream defensive midfielder signing where we haven't been exposed as badly. So you have to take that into account as well. Yeah. Now look, Dan, on I said, I don't feel like I haven't lost confidence in playing a back four after yesterday. It was just one. It's just honestly one of those games where it's yeah. kind of hard to really, you don't want to overanalyze it because I don't think you really need to kind of go overanalyze it and find everything wrong with it. This next question was very, I found very interesting. It's kind of, you know, similar to what we just talked about comes in from how badly do we need a DM? I know we never replace Matic. I don't think Jorginho is good enough in 38 league game season. Also, your thoughts, what do we do with Kante? Sell this summer or let him leave on a free in 23? There's quite a lot in that question. But Daniel, I think this has been kind of like a, a common line that a lot of people said, like, Chelsea have never really replaced Nemanja Matic. Mm. We tried to Tamuo Bakayoko and it, 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 and it did not work. Although, to be fair, I think the plan was for Matic to stay in Bakayoko to kind of learn off him and then that obviously did not go to plan. But Nemanja Matic was, was that player who, you know, was was agile, he was tall, he was physical, he, he was mobile, he was able to cover ground. And also, perhaps like criminally forgotten, he actually was pretty, like, quite creative as well. That that Conte season, he got a lot of assists yeah. in Chelsea. So I guess how badly, you know, we've never replaced him. So how badly do we kind of need, need a DM? And on the, you know, Jorginho, good enough 38 league games. It kind of feels a bit weird. You said we did earlier, it feels weird talking about Jorginho considering he had no part to play in. Hmm. in yesterday's game but I think a lot of people kind of said that you look at teams who have won Premier League and they do have a certain profile of midfield but we do not have that sort of physical more physical agile presence which Kovacic, Kante, Jorginho for all their qualities we do not have a player like that in our team so how important do you think it is that we we get a DM and perhaps a player sort of in that profile and obviously I'll get your thoughts on, on Kante and what we do with him after that. Yeah I mean it's what Matic brought to two title winning teams I mean the way he he really changed the midfield I think under Mourinho gave Mourinho the kind of physical presence he needed to kind of dominate games uh the way him and Fabregas kind of dovetailed so wonderfully in that 14-15 season it was it was the perfect balance of a midfield where you know Fabregas because he has those limitations going the other way you could deal with that because he could play this match winning pass to Diego Costa that would change things um we don't kind of have that protection at the moment to facilitate players who you know, for all of Jorginho's good performances, I think over the past year, I've always argued this as much as I've supported Jorginho and people can find this. I've been a supporter of Jorginho. I've always tried to see what he could bring to a team, but he is other than the, the pass. I have recently started to play passes. That, yeah, that uh, week of Newcastle and Lille, didn't he? Where, but the larger yeah. scale of Jorginho yeah. at Chelsea career, I think it's fair to say that's not a regular occurrence for him. He doesn't, contribute those passes regularly enough and as we saw for Italy you know in that winning goal there's a sense that again he's being shrugged off the ball um when his team needs him to to kind of close things down and you felt like you look at an Emmanuel Matic you, you look at a Declan Rice you look at Aurelien Schumeli and they're absolutely in their at their best form are closing that that threat down and that's not being shot on goal um so it's so it's obviously key I just worry that Chelsea again are sleepwalking into a another contract situation where I think people have kind of forgotten. And, and as that question alludes to Kante and Jorginho are out of contract in 2023. 
So there is also a case of Chelsea are going to have to make a decision this summer of what they're doing with those two players, two senior midfielders who are coming into the latter stages of their career. N'Golo Kante, for all his wonderful performances, we know the fitness problems. We know the the fact that you you have to accept that you're going to lose him for a number of games. You can't play him week in, week out. And I always personally feel it's better to sell too soon than too late, um, which is something Chelsea have really struggled to do in recent years. A player like Bakayoko, other players that you can mention that Chelsea have kept on to for years and years and years as their value depreciates. Um, and Jorginho, I just feel that it's probably just a nice time for him to move on. Uh, in the summer I just, I just think that you you hear his agent every single week it feels like talking about his desire to go back to Italy a bit like with Werner I'm not this is not obviously not the same situation but you know it, it feels like a perfect time for him to go back I don't know what else how how much better can Jorginho get at Chelsea I think he he's sort of he's done so much to I think prove people wrong or at least feel like he can leave Chelsea in, in a very healthy place in his career be regarded as as a good player someone that Chelsea fans will remember uh, fondly and to get that player in who you know over a 38 game season you can trust to be durable to deal with the aggression of the Premier League because that's what it is it, particularly in those kind of winter months where it gets so difficult and challenging and games are a, a test of sort of attrition and you, you have to kind of grind games out. Every single title winner in Premier League history does not, like you You will not find a Premier League title winner who went 38 games a season playing wonderful, sublime football. That just There are some really horrible games within there that you will never want to go back and watch again. But you need players who are going to keep the balance of your midfield, who are going to protect the back four, who are going to allow the license of other players to go forward. I mean, that's always been the intriguing thing to me. How much of a handbrake do, does Thomas Tuchel have on this team? That's always been the thing that I found quite curious, is if you were to drop your dream defensive midfielder in, what avenues does it open up tactically? Is Tuchel throwing another attacker onto the pitch? Uh, I, I found it in, curious that when Tuchel was asked about that five-sub question, he started speaking about the levels of intensity he could alter within a game and saying, I could bring on this player, that player. And you think about like a returning player like Conor Gallagher, what he could do within like the 60-minute period if you throw him on for, say, Mason Mount to, to increase the level of pressing that maybe has lacked in a game. Things like that that I think Tuchel has not been able to do with this Chelsea team so far, I, found, I find really interesting. Um, I don't think that, I'm bringing in, say, too many, and then instantly we're never playing a back three again because it's quite clearly a system that suits, say, our defenders. It's a system that Tuchel knows he can coach really well within this group of players. So I think you'd see it in bigger games where, where it's needed because it's quite clearly a system that can nullify, say, a Liverpool. We've seen that multiple times this season. That, that back three system has, has nullified Liverpool pretty well um, a number of times, particularly in that that cup final was probably the best demonstration of it when it works well. Uh, Chelsea just didn't take their chances. I think that was a pretty, pretty brilliant performance other than finishing the chances defensively. I think we were immaculate that day. So listen, I, we, we all know the, 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 the need to recruit a defensive midfielder. I I'm swaying towards too many simply because I just think with new ownership, it's so hard to know how much they're going to invest. So you'd feel like too many because it's kind of a deal that was some way down the line, or at least Chelsea have shown an interest that can be done for not the most ridiculous price. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Look, I do. Yeah, I agree. I think Chelsea needed the M. Is Jorginho good enough in the late game, league game season? I don't know. You know, he's a good player. I think it's one of those, if you get an offer, you entertain it. I think it's just one of those things, you know, it's, it's not like he's a must stay, but he's one of those like you're happy for him to stay. But if he goes, 
if you can properly replace him or, you know, adequately replace him, then okay as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, we're going to go a few questions on Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Uh, I know we kind of answered this, uh, what is Ruben's best role backwards from Travis? You kind of said left of midfield free. Uh, well, certainly when we saw the best of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were questions on, uh, Lib asked, uh, I see Ruben as one of our own, but today's performance, I do not think he's going to be here next season. And another person asked, feels like the best for Ruben and the club is they part ways this summer. Do you guys feel it's best for Ruben if he leaves this summer? Because, it's with Ruben, I think sort of in the autumn, there was a lot of hope with Ruben when he came into that team. We saw some really encouraging performances. Tuchel seemed to trust yeah. him. And then over the last few months, it's kind of maybe been sort of reverted back to how we perhaps expected his role at Chelsea to be this season. And maybe, you know, he's tended to maybe play cup games. He's not necessarily had a, a huge role to play inside. Obviously, yesterday was probably his first league game he started for. I, I don't even know the last time he started league game so it kind of feels weird do you think it's probably best to move on from from Ruben you know this summer is it best for him is it best for the club to you know just kind of just maybe just accept that it, it's not going to work out and it's unfortunate mm. you know because we know there's some big reasons why it's not worked out but do you think it's maybe best just to you know for, for him and, and the club to part ways mm. this summer sadly as you know as a, as a fan of Ruben I've, I've been for some time and I, I, I there was a period where I thought he was going to be Drew in the crown, you know, he was going to break through, as I spoke about earlier, that that run of games he had before the injury, was, I thought was remarkable, um, where he was showing a talent that Chelsea hadn't had. You you just feel like that, as with a few players this summer, it just feels like the right time to move on. Um, I still think they can attract a decent fee for him. Maybe there'll, there'll obviously, I think, be some caution about his injury record, but I know he hasn't played week in, week out this season, but he stayed relatively fit, hasn't he, um, to a Premier League level. And I think for his own career, maybe it's a crossroads where if Chelsea are going to invest on a new central midfielder, if Conor Gallagher is coming back into the club, if well, you, you look at Mason Mount, who is obviously not going anywhere and, and other players within the squad, do you just want to be a bit part player in the prime years of your career? You may, if Chelsea remain competitive and keep on winning trophies, there's obviously a, a a nice thing about that that you'll be in the trophy picks and you know you'll be a part you'll have those always all those honors on your on your career list when you retire but I, I think for his own career I would like to see the best of Ruben come out because I think he's such a wonderful talent at his best that there could be other clubs that could offer him the role I think he he maybe wants I mean I know that he's been asked questions about whether this six role suits him or not because he's obviously played it in his younger years and, and as this season maybe he doesn't want to play as a number eight but I think that there's a great opportunity there for a team who would who would give him that role and I think he could excel I mean I know Newcastle are trying to buy everyone Barcelona are trying to buy half of our defense uh you know it's I, I think there's probably a club in the Premier League particularly that would take him and um I'd be interested to see what would what would happen because I think there's there's still a great talent within there who could be really really effective, um, and as you know, he I think sadly he might be collateral damage. There's just, there's just too many bodies. It's 
again, it's down to the player. Um, I think the fact that there are so many games that Chelsea are going to be playing, as we know now, the five sub rule maybe changes things of convincing players to stay around a little bit longer because you can sell them the idea that there's five subs. Injuries this season have kind of shown the amount of football that you can get in certain roles if, if, a, if a squad really gets hit in a certain area and particularly over a World Cup year when I think the post-World Cup weeks are going to be a bit of a mess. Tuchel will obviously want as many bodies fresh as possible when we get back on Boxing Day. Uh, but again, what player wants to just see themselves as the understudy, as the standby? I, I don't know if Ruben at this point of his career would want that. And if Chelsea can in, can get a decent fee for him to to get that money in to reinvest in a squad, to reinvest in a player that Tuchel is actually going to be using on a weekly basis, that's probably the smarter move. Yeah, no, I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek ultimately just might be one of the most what-ifs, what could have been at yeah. Chelsea, but it's just unfortunate the situation and what he had to deal with. And look, Daniel mentioned Newcastle there, and I've, I've kind of had a dream because I know, again, there's a lot of talk about Eden Hazard. I've part, you've mentioned there, and I've just had a little dream, you know, thinking about that Sarri season, Eden and, Eden and Ruben in the same team, because I said the last few months of that season, I decided those two were sort of the main stars. So I'm just thinking if you've got those two, the same team playing, you know, under an Eddie Howe team, that could be quite quite a sight for, for the Premier League. So, you know, who knows, maybe... Maybe club and look, Ruben can still Ruben certainly shown he can still play for a good Premier League, you know, club. Obviously not a club, you know, the standard of maybe Chelsea or, or are there, but he can still, you know, have a good career uh, somewhere else. Uh penultimate question was also from Lib, and I you know, I don't want to kind of laugh in the face of this question, but Werner is out of form, but I think we need to avoid another Salah KDB scenario. Let's give him next season as last opportunity. Lib, if that's sarcasm, then very well played. If that's a genuine sincerity, then I don't know what to say to you. That's not me. I'm just genuinely like, because Daniel, this is something we kind of get. Right, because people, because there'll be the argument, if he goes back to the Bundesliga and he starts firing the goals, you know, and he starts really performing well, people are going to be like, well, if only we'd given him, there will be that narrative. We know there'll be that absolutely lazy narrative that comes out of what if we'd given him his chance. But surely, as we kind of alluded to earlier, and Kamal's question is Timo done here. Yes, he is, in our opinion. But surely, you know, the evidence is there. Like, this is two seasons worth of evidence. His manager doesn't even trust him. So whether or not he may be good enough, his own manager right now, who is probably Chelsea's big, biggest and best asset, ultimately doesn't trust him or really think he's good enough to play the amount of football yeah. that, you know, he should be playing. Um, so is it one of those where, you know, Timo is not a KDB sound? And if we were to make the comparison, it would have been when Habits was out the side for a month and maybe there was some slight concerns what's going on with him, but certainly not, certainly not Timo. No, you can't compare the two because with Salah and KDB, you know, they didn't get, when you actually look at the amount of appearances they they actually made for Chelsea, um, scratch, barely scratches the surface. I mean, in terms of actual impact within a squad, you know, in terms of what you'd actually call fair chances within a team and the length of time those players were here. I have confidence that Timo would go back to the Bundesliga and score goals again because it's the Bundesliga. And I think as we've seen in recent years, there is that sense that there's a caution about that league. And it's not, it'd be flippant to say never buy from the Bundesliga again. I just think it's maybe having an understanding of really looking at the player, really looking at his deficiencies. What would he bring to the team? What, what, because for Leipzig as a counter-attacking team, as, as that league is so much about transition and so much, the amount of the goals you see when you watch the Bundesliga, where it's just a player running in on goal, one-on-one with the keeper. It's very exciting to watch. 
and it's exciting when you put it all in a compilation but you have to trans have those skills transfer to a team in the Premier League that's mostly dominant in possession that wants to control the ball that isn't all about sitting back and then just punting the ball forward towards someone to run onto very it's, it's what Lukaku has struggled with this season right you know that's something that he really thrived off with with Inter Milan um, under Conte I don't. They, they. I don't think Chelsea can have any regrets. They can't, um, because I think that the fact that the Bundesliga would be only the only place that would take him back probably says in itself a lot. There, there does not wide interest um, in Europe for him. It's it's a lesson to Chelsea, and even if he was to go back to to Dortmund or Leipzig and score twenty goals next season. He did that before Chelsea, and I, I don't think there can be any regrets about it because we've we've given him so many opportunities, and we've all got a very very clear look at Timo Werner. There is no, I don't think there's no stones unturned. I think we've we've adapted our game around him at points. Uh, we've played him on the left. We've played him as a central striker. We've played him in a, a striking pair, which is what he had with a more physical striker with Lukaku. Um, that he had with Paulson at Leipzig. We we have tried everything. I think at this point, Tuchel has exhausted all of the options available to him. And at some point, the player has to take responsibility. I think there has to be an... I think there has to be a... Again, this sounds way too traumatic, but there has to be a... a no, punishment is, is is probably the wrong word. I think it, when, you, when you get the level of performance, it can't be seen to be rewarded because it sets a bad precedent like, for the rest of Chelsea's history, basically, over the coming years in the squad where... People think that that's a level that Chelsea accepts, basically. And, and we, we accept that level of, of performance from players. Um, I think it really sends a statement to say, you weren't the right fit. Let's move on. Let's bring someone who is more capable and more suited to what Tuchel wants. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Look, we've given him the opportunity. And I know he's not, you know, I think Ferran Torres had a more success at Man City than Timo. has had for us had more of an impact. But you looked at Ferran Torres, he was at City a season and a half. You know, he he played a part in winning a league title. He was he was a good player, decent player. But he decided he wanted to move on, and so he was like, "Yeah, we're happy to cash in on you." And it's one of those things. Chelsea just maybe just make that decision. Just go, yeah, we don't need to drag this out. Mm-hmm. The evidence is not if Timo Werner goes on to the Bundesliga, sets it alight, gets a big money move. Say, say, say the Salah scenario plays out. He goes back. He goes to then Liverpool and he tears it up. We can't have regrets. Because there was, we watched Timo. We've watched Timo Werner for two seasons. There has been absolutely no evidence he's going to do this. We cannot just go on a blind, a blind, you know, leap of faith with him. Because then so, you keep every player, exactly. right? Exactly. You, you can't. The Salah one for me is less infuriating than the De Bruyne one. Yeah. Because the Salah one, he goes to another club and then comes back, um, or at least goes. You know, he he, he goes Fiorentina, Roma, and then he Liverpool. Goes Fiorentina, Roma. Yeah, it's not even just one club. He goes to yeah. two clubs on uh, goes on loan, then to Roma permanently, and then you know to Liverpool it means that you can never sell any player because ev- there is the threat that any player could could do this to you like it's 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 it that could very well happen right that who knows what's going to happen who knows what's, Tammy Abraham could sign for Liverpool this summer we could buy back Tammy Abraham and he bangs in 30 goals for us you know th- we don't know what we all thought that Lukaku was going to be the solution to our problems and that hasn't been the way it's turned out right you would have asked me last this time last year I felt pretty certain that was going to be the case it, it isn't Chelsea can't live in that kind of state of fear that selling players that aren't performing for you and haven't been performing for you might cost you later down the line I think you've got to work 
it's, it's not about being short-termism. It's about just looking at the, the evidence. We have a lot of evidence about Werner. As I say, more appearances than Morata. So we've had a long look at Timo Werner of what he can and mainly what he can't do. And I think that there's only one solution here that's going to improve his career, that's going to improve Chelsea's team, and that's to sell him this summer. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, next question from Sham. Does not signing a fullback in January seem like one of those mistakes for is will come back to bite us? Because Daniel, that was obviously, you know, in January, there was a lot of talk, Chelsea, mm. you know, wanting to sign a fullback. Uh, but the window closed, and my kind of view at the time, and I said this in previous pods, was I'm kind of okay with us not mm. signing a fullback because realistically, top four, with, we, we were never in a title race, so it was never going to hurt us there. Top four, you know, we were in pretty you know fine composition there and we still are in a pretty fine composition we've kind of been okay there obviously the champions league you know we'll have to see it may hurt us but again this team in the champions league just raises its levels like that champions league just really does get the best out of this team so is there you know do you think it's you know any concern or mistake not signing on because again it, it's just you know obviously yesterday again maybe that's alluding to the fact that Alonso was was really poor yesterday but again kind of do Alonso has been pretty solid when stepping in Saar although at times you kind of think, geez, this guy is like quite horrible on the ball to watch points. He's not really let us down hugely since coming in. And although like the football, and I kind of think I said this on the previous World Post, I don't think the football, I think I said past, I don't think we're going to play that pretty football in the Premier League from now to the rest of the season. Because I think we've got bigger fish to fry and we've just got to basically focus on ensuring we get in the Champions League for next season while pursuing other avenues and going, you know, full throttle in those. So, but do you think it's really, you know, been a, do you think it's come back to us that we not signed a fullback or, or not really? No, I think I share the same feeling as you about January is that I'm not one for just rushing into buying players for buying players' sake. I mean, who would we have brought in if you think about the players we were linked to briefly? Uh, Luca Dean, an older player on big contract that could have fallen into the Emerson. You know, we could have created a repeat of the Emerson situation, which, you know, was another player that could have come back. My frustration is more with... Again, it's like a, it's it's a symptom of a wider problem, like get, getting yourself into a s- scenario like this. Um, and it's a problem with not forward planning, with having players on for too long who maybe don't suit the manager's style. Those are wider things. In the case of this, I can't really get too angry about it. I would rather, my feeling in January was I, I would rather wait to the summer to get someone more suitable that Chelsea can get that suits say what took a once from a wing back or full back that isn't too dissimilar to Ben Chirwell, um, that can kind of fill in and is kind of of a similar skill 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 set because that's what we kind of need at both on both sides for me is that you kind of want to feel there's that level of of clarity over recruitment and it's consistent. Buying just someone because we need to drastically do something quickly, I, I don't think was would have been a smart move. And and I think that hopefully the summer will justify that. Um, I think he's just signing for signing's sake. Uh, I, I really do. And, and the problem is with Chelsea, if, if you're critical of Chelsea's recruitment, calling for just reactive recruitment in, in, in January and now, I think is a little bit silly to me. If, if you're criticising these people in, in the sense that you don't trust them, that they're always going to sign the, the best player, the, the player that really suits the current head coach. I don't see the problem with sitting back a little bit and waiting for a for a more suitable target in the summer when there are obviously more options there to, to go at. Yeah, because I think I've said this was like you probably risk can Chelsea get a player as good as Ben Chilwell as a left wing bad deputy? Probably not. But what they can try and do is get a player who is stylistically similar, can play in a similar way. So it means that if an injury happens, Chelsea can play and still play the way they want yeah. to. Because we see, you know, 
when Reese and Chile are out and it has been on, the way we attack, the way we play as a team is a lot different because they're not those same type of profile. And it's more about getting the right profile for those players and what we need. And to say, look, it was pretty clear Tuchel wanted Emerson over, you know, someone else in January, which should kind of tell it all about the situation. So no, I don't think it's one that's going to bite us because ultimately, look, if we don't win the Champions League also, I don't think realistically it's going to be because we didn't sign LF wing back. I don't think that'll be the reason why. It'll probably just be because you look at the teams left, there's some very good teams in that competition that are left. Bayern Munich, Liverpool and City, I think are probably the three teams I would have ahead of us as favourites. Maybe, you know, on our day, we're probably level with Bayern Munich because I think Bayern Munich under Nagelsmann, they're still maybe, you know, still getting used to it. Still not quite this, maybe not the force they were under Hansi Flick. They're still a good team. But I think we've seen, we've played City twice this year and they've schooled us. So I don't think, you know, they will be huge reasons as to why us not signing a, a wing back of the weight is going to cost us the rest of the season because again we're looking at the FA Cup and if we play Liverpool or Man City in the final we've shown that we can go toe-to-toe with Liverpool in the Carabao Cup final with Marcus Alonso being in arguably a man of a match display and, and managing Mo Salah really well that day as well so we know that the players we've got are certainly capable of doing it so no I don't think it was a mistake you know obviously in an ideal world we could have maybe got that player signed but you know it's not an ideal world and we just have to you know do what's best final question is not really too serious Connor asks are you all okay are we all okay I think we're all okay Daniel yeah. you know you said you mentioned the start you watched so watching WrestleMania um, last night. Yeah, Connor, come on, good said yesterday. Lovely day out. As I said, I say this before, and I say, I do always try and say this to people, never let the football in the 90 minutes ruin your kind of like day out. Yeah. Supporting Chelsea, as I said yesterday, have the pleasure of finally meeting the man in the flesh, Stamford Chidge. Having been, having been on the pod many times, having listened to the fan cast for a number of years, it's very nice to you know see him in the flesh, have a real nice conversation with him, see mates, different, different mates I met through Twitter, uh, met Nathan from Chelsea Grove Society, lovely bloke uh, who's recognised the voice, uh, you know, first person, first person to actually recognise the voice. Uh, so that was nice. And it was just a nice day. And I think it's one of those things yesterday, maybe because it was Brentford and it's not like a, a rival and it's not really big and the Premier League doesn't have much riding on it. Maybe it's kind of just easier to get over with, but it was one of those, I mean, kind of just acceptance really. It wasn't one of those where we were sort of tearing our hair out and our mood is ruined at all. I don't think it was just one of those, it happens, it moves on. We get on with life. We enjoy the other things in our life. Obviously, Peaky Blinders season finale is, you know, is 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 out uh, tonight for those who who like that show. I do too. So that'll be what I'm watching. It's been quite nice, you know. I think in general, just it, with with what's been going on in the world of Chelsea, even in, just with ownership, trying to get away from it and find you know distractions in other mm-hmm. interests in life, film, TV, music, is just you know nice to do. And thankfully, I'm able to get away with that. I know Daniel's got other his other interests as well like, so it's just quite nice to get away with it but Dan just you know you okay life good moment with Chelsea just happy just yeah yeah pretty much I mean it has been quite intense the past month obviously with everything that's going on and, and hopefully that can be resolved in, in the coming weeks and you know it's exciting going to see the, the Real Madrid game on Wednesday you know I've exactly. always wanted to see Chelsea play Real Madrid at Stamford Bridge so um, hopefully we can get a great performance there and have, and have a good end to the season I think there's still a lot to be excited about and I agree, man. It's it. I think it's been difficult because obviously there's been an existential crisis going on at the yeah. club. So, but I think in some ways that's helped my feelings about the games because you haven't taken them as seriously because there's bigger things at play that you know concern the the greater future of our club. Uh, so, in one way, you just got to take it on the chin. That's what it was. Brentford were better than us on a day. Uh, we'll have days like this again, and you just you hope that there's a quick reaction as there have been, as it has been under Tukwai. I think that under the circumstances, the team has performed really, really well. And, and Tukul as a coach as, as listen, I think in everyone's estimation has gone up 
so much in the past month. And I think he's, he's, he's what I think gives people a lot of energy about Chelsea at the moment, like the positivity, the sense you want to get behind him. So just use that again and, and listen, we know how chaotic Chelsea is and you just got to accept it at this point. Yeah, no, exactly. Amazon, you know, at the start of the season, Amazon probably thought they were onto something doing that Arsenal season, especially yeah. where they started. But boy, they missed out on, on not yeah. doing doing Chelsea. Probably the most chaotic uh, season in Chelsea history. It's only doing, you know, discussing things on podcast episodes that I never thought I'd have to do. But no, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, yeah, we lost to Brentford, but, you know, it is what it is. We move on. Real Madrid Wednesday. Uh, before we go, I'll thank Daniel once again for coming on. Daniel, it's always a pleasure to chat to you before you go. Give yourself one last word where people can find all your work. And if you've got any, you know, perhaps interesting articles for people to, to keep an eye on coming out in the next day or two. Yeah, thank you, mate. Always, always a pleasure to be on. Uh, yeah, as I said at the start, Son of Chelsea on Twitter is, is probably the best place where I post my sort of articles. And there's a link there to my author page on Football London. So you can see everything I write. Uh, Son of Chelsea on YouTube. Um, Carefree Chelsea, the channel on, it sort of leads into what we do at Football London and connects there. So that's kind of the video side of things where we have a regular series going on, reviewing, previewing the games. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming up. Um, and in terms of that, it's just, you know, obviously a bit of reaction to the Brentford game coming up today and tomorrow. And then we'll be quickly into previewing the Real Madrid game. And there's some obviously big games coming up. So it's going to be very exciting. So Football London, Carefree Chelsea, at Son of Chelsea on Twitter is, is the best place to find all my work. Yeah, make sure you follow Daniel. Make sure you check out all his work. Make sure you just check out all the great work from the guys at Football London. Save links will be in the description below. As for us, we're on Twitter, about Chelsea Podcast, on Instagram, about Chelsea Podcast, we're on all your usual podcast platform advisors. You can leave us a rating, review, Apple, Spotify, etc. It goes a long, long way whenever to put out any likes, retweets, just share the message about, share the pod about. End of the day, we are just, you know, Chelsea fans talking with fellow Chelsea fans about the one club that we love. And, you know, we don't always get to talk about the jollies, you know, the highs of the season. But again, it's in a way quite cathartic just to kind of go over yesterday and just kind of get it out out the system. Um, but yeah, play, play podcast to anyone with a functioning pair of ears, please. And uh, until the next episode, everybody keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network.